compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Stephen Alby. We figured as we get closer to summer, though you wouldn't know it from looking outside, and as we get closer to this time when many of us, hopefully, will be able to take a break from different things. I know our Awana uh, volunteers and leaders right now are enjoying a very good break after tons and tons of hard work. Um, we decided that now would be a really good time to talk about what does it mean to actually rest? What is rest in the Bible? And I actually want to begin this morning with a bit of a confession. I want to begin by telling you that for years, years, I was a terrible, terrible Sabbath breaker. I was a horrible Sabbath breaker. It was very difficult for me to find even a couple hours, let alone an entire day, in order to rest from work. Does anyone else struggle with this? Anybody else feel a little unrested? Maybe, yeah, a little bit? Okay, students, I get it, yep. Few of us, for sure. Now, in a day like today, in a time like we live where it feels like we are constantly nagged by our phones, when we feel like television screens are everywhere and they're telling us all these things that we need to do, and when it feels like we're connected to everything 24 hours a day, it's really easy to understand that rest would be hard for us. It's really easy to understand this. And now, what's interesting is that not only do we feel like we have no time away from ourselves, but we've even become a culture that praises this. We've become people who enjoy our level of busyness. We wear it as a badge of honor, and it seems as if rest has become kind of a four-letter word. Like, I don't, I'm, take a rest? Like, what does that mean? No, I'm, I'm doing stuff today. Like, this is, this is my day. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, I'm gonna tell them all the things that I've done, as opposed to how I'm feeling. But what's interesting is that I just came up here and I told you that I not only habitually and consistently broke one of God's laws, but it wasn't a little law, it's actually one of the 10. I just told you that I broke consistently one of the 10 commandments and not only did a lot of you sympathize with me, which I am happy about, but some of us are proud of it. I always think it's interesting that if I would've come up here and told you that I broke any other of the 10 commandments, if I told you I was a habitual liar, or if I told you I was a habitual murderer, the response might not have been the same. I'm neither of those things, by the way. Just wanted to make sure. Some of you are here for the first time, you're like, who is this guy? What is he? He's a murderer? This is weird. Anyway, the, but it's interesting that this is one of the 10 commandments, and I always wondered, as I looked through the 10, I'm like, okay, yeah, don't, don't steal from each other, don't lie, don't kill, worship the Lord God only, like, but then we get this command to rest. And it's so interesting to figure out why is that there? Now, not only, though, Is it a command from God, but I don't know if you guys have seen this recently, but even the Center for Disease Control came out with a study about the effects of of lack of rest on people. This is the Center for Disease Control, and they said that over 40% of people they surveyed had reported that they fell asleep unintentionally once within the last month. And now this isn't like little kids who fall asleep when you're driving around in the car. This isn't students who fall asleep during that one class. I know which one it is. These are adults who reported falling asleep against their will at one point during the month. The scarier part is that 7% of the people they surveyed reported that they fell asleep unintentionally once while driving. And we read stories of what happens when someone sleeps while driving. 
But maybe you're thinking, you know, 40%, 7%, eh, that's never me. I've never fallen asleep unintentionally. Think about this. Another survey came out from Crossway Publishing recently, and it said that close to 80%, this is four out of five people, reported that at one point, these are professional adults, at one point reported serious, sincere burnout. Now, we use the term burnout kind of flippantly, so I want you guys to understand, this isn't just that I'm kind of tired and I need to take a break kind of burnout. This is the I may have to quit my job kind of burnout. This is the my current pace of life is killing me physically kind of burnout. This 80% of people have experienced this at one point or another. Now, there are a few of you in here, I'm sure, who may be at this point. I bet there are some of us in here who are close to that. You may be thinking, you know, if I continue at this current pace, I may have to quit my job. I may have to change something drastically if I'm going to sustain this any further. Now, my hope is, is that if you're struggling with this, if you're at this point that you will be encouraged by God's word this morning, my hope is that you will hear words from God, not of condemnation, but of invitation. Not another thing to put on your to-do list, but a thing that's already been done for you. What I want to talk about this morning is Sabbath. Now, this is one of my absolute favorite things to talk about, and I know that sounds weird, but I think it's because God has consistently hammered me over the head with this and said, you need to take a break, and you need to rest. And as often as he has told me this, sometimes I listen, sometimes I don't, and then I am forced to take a break, either through sickness or through other things happening that kind of what we call forced Sabbaths. Sometimes a car won't start, and it's like, okay, well, I guess I can't go to work today. Or different things that come into our lives. My hope is that before it gets to that point, that we see the necessity and the joy that comes from rest. We need to be reminded of these truths daily, don't we? In a world that's constantly telling you all the things that you need to do, we need to be reminded that sometimes it's okay to stop. Sometimes it's okay to take a break. Now in scripture, we actually see that there's a lot of commandments and a lot of talk about rest. We see that there is a lot of um, verses both in the Old and in the New Testament, and I think it breaks down into two things. I think in the Old Testament, most of the time, the commandments to rest really mean taking a break. In the Old Testament, Sabbath oftentimes just means to take a break. Take a break from your work. But as we'll see this morning as we go through this, that the commandment to take a break gets expanded, as so many things often do by Jesus. And as we get into the New Testament, we'll see that he is offering us rest, not just from our stress for labor, but from a whole other thing entirely. So if you would open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10, we're going to take a look at what it means, first of all, the first time we see the commandment to rest. Many of you might be familiar with these. These are the Ten Commandments. They're pretty important. So much so that they're repeated often. And what we see is this. Starting in verse 8 of chapter 20 of Exodus, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. 
For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what we see here is that the command to rest isn't just some arbitrary command that comes from God. He doesn't just say, rest is a good thing, so I'm going to command it to you. No, it's actually built into the very fabric of creation. God actually did this on purpose. He rested from his work. Not because he needed to. I want to make that very, very clear. God did not get exhausted from creation. But what he did is he rested because he understands that we need this so desperately. While this may come as a surprise to you, many of the first five books of the Old Testament contain laws to rest. I think a lot of the time we read through these and we read a lot of like, thou shalt nots, and we think, oh, this is God just putting a a list of a whole bunch of things we can't do, and he's putting this box together, and he's trying to ruin our fun, and all this stuff. But actually, a lot of the laws have to do with times of, of taking a break and rest, and what that looks like. I think it's interesting how specific God gets when he talks about you know, each person in your household, he's saying like, you can't just use this as an opportunity for you to be lazy and then to make work for everybody else. No, if you're gonna take a break, everyone in your household takes a break too. Everyone else rests too. Don't be lazy and think, oh, I have to take rest, so I'm just gonna make sure my kids do all my work. No, he said, you're gonna take a break, your kids are gonna take a break, and you know what, even your livestock's gonna take a break. You're not gonna let them, you know, run around and plow the field on their own so that you can be lazy and go hang out. It takes intentionality. In the Old Testament, we also see that there are nine different festivals commanded. I think this is interesting. God's like, hey, you guys should party. You should have festivals. You guys should feast, and you should take breaks. And a lot of these festivals lasted for not just a day, but for weeks. And many of them had to do with this idea of like resting from labor and and remembering how good God is. And I think that this expands it so much further. So many of us find it so hard to take just a day off. So many of us find it hard to, to find even a couple of hours in which to rest, but there's actually a commandment that was called the Sabbath year. And this it was where God said, for six years you will till the fields and you will allow them to produce their harvest, but on the seventh year, you're going to let the land rest for a whole year. Those of you who are farmers, how hard would that be? How intentional would you have to be to make sure that you saved a percentage of everything that you earned for six years in order order to let that seventh year rest? How amazing would that be, too, to be able to rest for like a whole year? God actually commands it. And some of these are going to be really difficult. I understand this. Some of these we can't do today. I doubt many of us can walk into our job tomorrow and say, you know, I really feel like God is commanding me to take a year, and they're going to be okay with that. I mean, you can make a pretty good case. I mean, seriously, if your boss is a Christian and they, you know, take it really seriously, it's right there. I mean, those of you who have just gotten married recently, there's a command in Scripture to take a year off after you get married. Um, I didn't do that. Um, kind of wish we did sometimes. We decided to move um, and come up here <laughs> three months after we got married. But um, it's just amazing to me because God puts all these provisions in there. And yet, if we find it so hard to do even a couple of them, And this is why I think God commands us to do this. He has to command it. He has to say, this is important enough for me to tell you in the 10 biggest commandments that pretty much all of us start memorizing that are sitting on many, you know, at the front steps of many courthouses that aren't necessarily Christian institutions, but the 10 commandments are there. Most of our law, even in America, is built upon the 10 commandments. 
And the reason he did this is because honestly, God knows us. He knows who we are. He knows that we are very good at coming up with ways to feel more and more accomplished and feel like we've done more and more stuff, but we're really, really bad, if we're honest, at celebrating those accomplishments and enjoying their, their benefits. Now, the Bible is not against productivity. I want, to be, like, I want to be perfectly clear about this. The Bible is not against productivity. And I understand full well that there are going to be seasons in your life of busyness. There are going to be seasons in your life where it feels like you can't take a break. Certain things are going to have to get done. There are deadlines that are approaching. There are finals that need to be taken. Whatever that looks like, there are going to be seasons of that. But what I want you to analyze in your life is this. When that season ends, do you celebrate? Do you rest? Or do you jump into the next thing? I think a lot of us, if we're honest, in a way maybe crave that busyness. And as soon as one season of busyness finishes, we jump into the next thing right away. We say, this is, you know, it's, it's not good that I, I take a break. If I don't do it, no one else will. The world will stop spinning if I take a break. And then all of a sudden we get into the cycle of perpetual busyness and no rest. And then we wonder why 80% of people in that survey claimed they had burnout. My friends, not resting is actually much greater than just you know, physical stress or even in a sense disobeying God's law. It's actually a form of idolatry. Idolatry is a word we don't use very often. We kind of think of like, okay, well, I don't have any golden calves sitting in my house, so I must not have any idols. But what idolatry means is exactly what happens when we don't rest, is it says in a way we want to be God. We want God's job. We want to be in charge, we want to be infinitely productive, and we feel like it is totally up to us to do everything out there that we feel like is commanded of us. And I'll be honest, nowhere is it greater, at least what I have seen, than even in ministry, where we feel like it is up to us in ministry, whether you're a volunteer or your staff member, whatever it looks like, that we have to do all this work. It's up to us to do these things, and, and God's work and God's will won't happen unless we work our butts off, and that's not the case. Inviting us to rest, God is reminding us that he is God and we're not. We, only God doesn't sleep or slumber. Do you ever think about that? How much more could I get done if I didn't sleep, right? Only God never needs to rest because only God is limitless. We, on the other hand, do sleep. Some of us don't sleep near enough. We, on the other hand, need to rest from our work. Because, my friends, I say this not to put you down, but because I love you, you are limited. You are finite. You do not take up infinite amounts of space. You do not have infinite amounts of energy. You are limited, and that's a good thing. God created us this way. He intentionally created us this way because it shows us that difference between us and him. It shows us the difference between us and him. It says to us that we are not God. So as you look at the routines and the patterns of your life, I honestly want you to wrestle with this question as I have so often. Are you trying to have God's job? Are you trying to be God? Because if you are, good luck. God is so much more powerful than we could ever imagine. He is infinitely more capable than even us on our best days. And no amount of Red Bull you can drink is gonna get you anywhere close to that. Are you trying to have God's job? 
Now also, I want to make sure that we know what this passage isn't saying. I know some of you are probably, I think with most of you, you probably struggle with lack of rest more than you struggle with lack of work. But I do want to make sure that this is saying clearly that the whole of the Christian life isn't just doing nothing, isn't just laziness. It's interesting because for every command that we find, we, f- we see that people will take it to one, or one of two extremes usually. There are some people who will take this command not seriously at all and then just not take a break, not rest, and just say, whatever, forget it. But there are other people who are going to take this command a little too seriously and not work ever. In Scripture, we actually see this. In 2 Thessalonians, there was a group of people who were so, con- like, so convinced that Jesus was going to return within their lifetime that they just ceased working altogether prompting Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians to say, if a person is unwilling to work, let him not eat. If a person is unwilling to work, let him not eat. You see, what God is commanding us is this healthy rhythm of life. In commanding us to rest on one day, he expects that we work for six. In commanding the land to rest for a year, he expects that for six years we worked that land and it yielded fruit. So I want you to understand that what God is doing is he's inviting us to rest but he's also making sure that we are doing the work that he has also called us to do. It's, it's a balance. You want both. If you work too much or you rest too much, it's unhealthy. God wants us to have rhythm. But I want to give you guys some practical ways to actually cultivate these times of rest, especially because we are in an unprecedented level of busyness. I remember reading a study back in like the 80s when, the computers, when computers first started coming out. People thought that the work week was actually going to go down to about 20 hours because of the increased productivity that computers gave them. They didn't realize that what we were going to do is we were going to say, oh, the computer makes me more productive so I can do more work in 40 hours than, other, you know, than anyone could have done previously. And if we're honest, as uh, technology gets faster and faster, as we get you know, smarter in using it and more efficient in using it, it'd be interesting to see how much work a person can do in 10 years from now versus somebody now. And how that affects our lives, how that affects our seasons of busyness, and how that affects our rest. So I want to give you guys just a couple practical ways to live out this commandment. The first one is really simple. Okay, it's simple to say. It's really hard to do. It's be organized. I honestly could spend the rest of this morning and today, and tomorrow, and for a few more days, telling you just how important being organized is. And the reason I can tell you this is because I've seen in my life, I was horribly disorganized. I couldn't tell you, I tried to keep everything in my head, which is really dumb to do, and I tried to say, okay, well, I have, you know, 50 tasks that I need to do today, and they're all in my head, so I'll just try to get them done, and whatever I don't get done, whatever I can just do tomorrow, and that's not a good way to do it. It's really not. I am far from perfect in this. I've improved a ton. Anyone who looks at my office will tell you I still have a way to go. I get it. My desk is messy still. I know where everything is, kind of. But I still have a long way to go with this. But I can't tell you how much time I have earned and how much my rest has improved because of organization. My friends, if you don't plan times of rest, they're not going to happen. And if you don't organize your days to a way that you can do this, I mean, seriously, there's no way that the year of rest could happen unless the person farming the fields was organized enough to make it happen. God did not command them to just take a break. He said, this is going to happen in seven years. Make sure you're ready. Organize your days. Save some, some grain aside. With us, it's the same thing. 
If you guys know intentionally that a day of rest is coming, and it can be Sunday or it can be any day that you find that you're actually able to take a break, mine's Friday. I love my Friday Sabbaths. Um, What you do is organize your time. Know that that day of rest is coming and be intentional about it. It's been said that unstructured time just fritters away, and it's so true, isn't it? Be organized with your time. Prioritize your tasks, get things done, and I swear to you that when you find days of rest, knowing that you're not sitting there anxious about trying to get things done, you'll actually be able to take a break. I say this to students as well. I can't tell you how many sleepless nights I had because I didn't study for a test until like the night before that test. And it was amazing how much better I would have done if I would have studied earlier and then actually slept that night. And there's actually um, studies out there to prove the same thing. It's amazing what happens when you organize your time. Now the second one is to take a break from technology. Now you guys are probably thinking, okay, I know Stephen, he's going to tell us that technology is bad, that TV is horrible. Those of you who hang out with me on Wednesday nights know that I have, I have a difficulty with technology and it's because, again, I'm full of confessions today. I am a technology addict. I love technology. I love it all the time. It's, I'm on my phone so much that my wife and I actually had to have a conversation about it and it may or may not have concluded with like my phone being hidden for a couple of weeks. Yeah, those of you who are trying to get a hold of me during that time, that's what happened. Um, there, I mean, honestly, there are times that technolo- technology is not good or bad. It's how we use it. Can you watch a football game to the glory of God? Yeah. Can you watch several? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Can you sit there and watch a single episode of a TV show and find some rest and recharging? Yeah. But when you sit there for eight hours straight and don't do anything else, well, maybe it starts to get a little bad. What I've seen in my life is that rest becomes so important and the only way that we can do it is when we get away from technology because honestly, everything we have is connected right now. We have 24-7 connectivity. And it's been worked into our culture that because we can get a hold of somebody instantly, we feel like we should be able to get a response from them instantly. How many of you guys feel that anxiety when you send a text message to somebody and they don't text you instantly back, right? Yeah, yeah. Did they get it? What happened? It says delivered. I saw you read it. That's creepy to me, that my phone will actually tell me if somebody read my message or not. I don't need to know that. The reason I text is so that I don't bother you right away. If I wanted to talk to you immediately, I'd call you. But I have some questions for you when it comes to your use of technology. How often do you check social media? How many hours a week do you spend in front of a television? I love reading studies, so I so I can use them in these things because I think it's really important. There was a survey once that showed that teenagers from 13 to 18 years old spent on average, in the US, this is everybody, I'm sure this is not everybody in this room, but this was everybody in the US, on average seven and a half hours in front of the television a day. A day. And they included all screens in that. So it was like the television, it was uh, internet screens, and this didn't have to do with work either. It, and it, they, they tried to make sure that the students knew that if they, were in, if they used a computer for school that it wasn't um, included in this ad, which meant that our eyes are looking at a screen maybe even more than that on a regular basis. Now, when you look at these things, when you check social media, when you, you know, update different things, does it improve your walk with God or does it hinder it? And some of you, it might. 
It might actually improve your walk with God. I follow a bunch of people on Twitter. Yeah, I still use Twitter. I know no one else does. Um, I actually follow quite a few, and I get these great, you know, articles and tidbits that pop up. Um, But when I start reading through a whole bunch of them, or if I notice that, you know, I'm I'm surfing Facebook, and I don't even remember what I looked at. I just know that I didn't say anything or do anything, and I looked like this for the past hour. That may signal that it's time to take a break from technology. Another big one for those of you who have your work email tied to your phone. How often do you check your work email when you're home? How often are you still at work when you're not at work? My friends, don't be physically present with your family, but mentally at work. Don't be physically present at home, but mentally on social media. Now, I remember that there was a time when I was forced, and I say forced very specifically, because I did not want to do this. I was forced to take a media fast. This was for a class in seminary, and I decided, hey, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, because the idea was to, to fast from some form of technology. He didn't want to kill us, so he didn't say everything. He said some form. He said, if I'm going to take this seriously, I'm going to fast from all video. That means all television, all internet, all video games, and I would only use my phone for phone calls. And while I would like to say that this was this incredibly edifying experience and I felt so close to God, that was not the case. It was one of the hardest weeks of my life. I felt withdrawals. I'm not joking. I even got that phantom buzzing feeling that some of us get where, like, my phone was in my pocket. I would feel it buzz, and I would check it, and it neither buzzed. I see some head nod. Thank you so much for relating to me in this. I'm glad I'm not alone. Like, it's become a thing that, like, you feel like, even when your phone's not in your pocket, you feel like it's going off because, like, our nerves are so used to feeling that feeling. Another confession, and I asked my wife if it was okay if I shared this, but there was one time where I actually took her up. This was when she and I were dating when I took this fast. And she knew something was up. She was like, okay, you're not near as happy as you normally are. It seems like something's off. Like, I really hope you're not on drugs, but I wasn't. Um, and we took, I took her to a place that I thought was a you know, fairly nice restaurant. It was you know, a little bit more upscale. It was, you didn't have to roll the window down to order. I mean, it was nice. The... <laughs> But what I noticed when we went into this place is that no matter where we sat, there was a television screen in my immediate vision. Everywhere. And as often as I tried and as hard as I tried, because I had this beautiful woman sitting in front of me and I was focused on her as, you know, and intentional in the conversation, but it is a little hard when you're focused on a person's face and all of a sudden there's this bright flash of color going, look at me! And there's another bright flash of color saying, hey, look, no, look at this! I don't even care what's on that one. Look at this one. And it showed me just how easily distracted we are. And even now, Ashley and I notice this when we go to restaurants. We've made it a rule. Phones are gone. Whenever we eat together, the phone is out. Everything that can come through can be handled later. I mean, um, you know, if there's an emergency, obviously we'll answer it. But the phone is just gone. We don't even look things up, which is kind of interesting. It's like, hey, do you know who was in that movie? Nope. All right. End of conversation. We'll figure it out when we get home. Phone's away right now. But we notice so often we see people who are, you know, going out on a date with one another. We see families sitting together and every single one of them is on a different screen. Every single one of them is sitting next to each other, but they're, they're physically present, but they're mentally somewhere else. My friends, let this not be us. If we aren't intentional with our time, we will lose a lot of it. And time is one of, I mean, time is the only thing you can't get more of. 
If we're not intentional with our time, we're going to end up spending so much of it on things that really don't matter. They really don't. So the third way for you guys to rest is find how you recharge. Now we see all through scripture, people who find how they recharge and get away. I mean, think about it. Moses, so often, had to get away from the crowds, go up to the mountain to spend time with God. Daniel, so often, had to get away from his work as, as a government official and go up into his house to pray. So much so that that was the only way that the officials knew that they could trap him and try to get him thrown in prison. Even Jesus, God incarnate, took times away to rest and to be with his father. When was the last time you felt truly rested? When was the last time you recharged? And how do you recharge? For some of us, we connect with God in different ways. Some of us connect with God through sitting down and reading his word, and that's how we connect best. There's some of us who connect with God through prayer. There's some of us who have to go away, who have to go into nature to connect with God. Some of us do it on an intellectual level. Some of us do it through conversation with people. Some of us do it on Sunday mornings. But whatever it is, my friends, find time to rest and recharge. Jesus is clear in John 15. He says that apart, that he is the vine, we are the branches, and apart from him, we can do nothing. Not just a few things. Not a whole bunch of things, then we get tired. Nothing. Recharge with Christ. Ultimately, if we want to find true rest, I mean, there's, there's good and there's a benefit to just going away and taking vacations, but if we don't have Jesus as part of our rest, we will never be fully rested. My friends, find ways to disconnect from all that drains you and reconnect to the only one who can recharge you. Now, this leads us into something that Jesus does very, very well. What he does is he takes Old Testament concepts and he expands them. He says, I know what you understand in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it says, you know, do not harbor, or do not murder. But I tell you, if you harbor anger, it's the same as murdering. He says, I know that in the Old Testament, it tells you to rest. But what I'm going to tell you is something so much greater. Rest is not just resting from your stress and your labor, but rest is actually a metaphor for what Jesus provides for us. Rest is actually the gospel. And one of my favorite, I mean, I love the whole Bible, but one of my favorite books in the Bible is Hebrews. I love it because it actually, uh, the author of Hebrews does such a great job pointing to how Jesus expands the Old Testament. Shows how Jesus loves, you know, takes the, the idea of priests and then becomes the ultimate priest. Takes the idea of sacrifice, becomes the ultimate sacrifice. And, I don't know if you know this, he actually takes the concept of rest and expands it in Hebrews as well. So if you guys want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, you guys can go from Exodus all the way over pretty much to the other side of the Bible. It'll be on the screens as well. And I forgot to mention, if, if you don't have a Bible to call your own, take that one in the seat in front of you. It's not stealing. We're encouraging you to do it. It's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have a copy of God's Word to call your own. And it's a good way to rest from technology because if you use your phone on your Bible, then, or your Bible on your phone, then you're still using technology and you could actually read the Bible in a, in a book. It's paper. It's really neat. So... All right, as we get there, here's some pages flipping. It almost is like in the exact opposite end of the Bible, which I think is neat. So Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 and see how Jesus expands this idea of rest. It says here, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. 
For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. He's speaking about God here. For God has somewhere spoken of the seventh day this way. And God rested from, on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, he again points to a certain day, today. Saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I think this is interesting. He says this, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains this Sabbath, rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works in the same way God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Do you see the connection here? If rest were to mean just a, a taking a break from physical labor, then going into the promised land would have achieved that goal. If just taking a break was all it was, then being freed from the slavery in Egypt would have been enough. But he says here, no, it's pointing to something greater. We see this is something so much greater and honestly so much more needed today. Yes, a lot of us need to take a break, but ultimately what we need is true rest. What we need is rest that only Christ can provide. Whether it has been explicitly taught or implicitly caught, the focus of the Christian life for many of us has shifted from the completed work of Christ to our work for him. It's on the screens and I want to repeat this again because this is really important. Whether it has been explicitly taught or implicitly caught, the focus of the Christian life for many of us has shifted from the completed work of Christ to our work for him. We focus our efforts less and less on the life of Jesus and more on the life of the Christian. We focus our efforts more on what we can do for him rather than what he did for us. And when that happens, we wonder why this Christian life doesn't feel easy and light. We wonder why did Jesus say that his yoke is easy and his burden is light when it feels like the Christian life is a lot harder than that. When it feels like we have to do so many things. We have to achieve so much. We have to earn everyone's approval. We have to work so hard. And my friends, what Jesus is calling us to is rest even in that. I believe what we see in this passage and elsewhere in scripture is that God's rest ultimately means trust in him. It ultimately means trusting in his work on our behalf. You no longer have to worry about whether you were doing enough praying enough, reading the Bible enough, whether or not you're serving enough, or whether or not every single one of your intentions is pure. Because Jesus really did pay it all. In him, you find that you are 100% loved, 100% approved of, you have an A plus in the class, and there is no way for us to earn it on our own. Jesus lived the perfect life, he died the all-sufficient death, he rose again from the dead, all for us. He did this because we can't. Jesus lived the perfect life and instead of saying, hey, look at me, look at what I did, why don't you do it more? 
He lived it and said, here, take my perfection. Take the righteousness, the perfect life that I have lived, credited to you. So that no longer does God see us as sinners, but he sees us as saints if we become Christians. God no longer sees all of the stuff that we've done, but he sees all of the things that Jesus has done for us. This makes Christianity unique among every other religion. If those of you who have studied other religions, you'll see that so many of them have lists. They have five pillars, or they have noble truths, or they have whatever it is, lists. Even secularism, even non, you know, non-religious people have their lists. If you earn a certain amount, or if you have a big enough house, or if you have a nice enough car, then yes, you'll succeed. Christianity is different. Where every other religion in this world says do, Christianity says done. Where every other religion says do, Christianity says done. Now this is what we call the already but not yet aspect of the gospel. This is what Sabbath really means. It means to rest already but not yet fully. Yes, God's rest and the salvation that we find in Jesus allows us reprieve from our stress and our labors now in this life. But it will not be fully perfected until we join him in heaven. If you have this kind of rest in your life, if you trust that Christ really did pay it all and you see that God actually sees Jesus' work in your life and not your own, you can find peace and recharging in all aspects of life. You can see that all of life is a form of worship. That even your most menial job can be a way to serve the Lord. And when you do find that time to get away with rest and rest, what's amazing is that Jesus actually rests with you. He embraces you and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to read to you a prayer. My hope is that this prayer becomes our prayer. It was written by a Puritan many, many years ago. It's in a book called The Valley of Vision, another one of my favorite books. And I want to read this to you because I think it illustrates most clearly what this trust looks like and what rest in God looks like. It's printed in your bulletins. My hope is that this week you will actually take this prayer and pray it yourself every day. It's just a challenge for you. Again, you already have an A, so if you do it, great. If you don't do it, fine. But my hope is that you find evidence of God's work through this prayer. Let me read this as we read it together. It says, Heavenly Father, my faith is in you. My expectation is from you. My love goes out toward you. I believe you. Accept your word. Acquiesce to your will. Rely on your promises. Trust in your providence. I bless you that in the court of conscience, or that the court of conscience proves I am yours. I do not need signs and wonders to believe for your word is sure truth. I have cast my anchor in the port of peace, knowing that my present and future are in nail-pierced hands. You are so good, wise, just, and holy that no mistake is possible to you. You are the fountain and source of all law. What you command is mine to obey. I yield to your sovereignty in all that I am and have. Do with me as you will. You have given me silence in my heart in the place of murmurings and complaints. 
Keep my wishes from growing into willings, my willings from becoming fault-finding with your providences and have mercy on me. If I sin and am rebellious, help me to repent. Then take away my mourning and give me music. Remove my sackcloth and adorn me with beauty. Take away my sighs and fill my mouth with songs. And when I am restored and rest in you, give me summer weather in my heart. Amen. My friends, where do you need rest? On a day like today, it can feel very easy to feel like God is giving you one more commandment to follow, and that's not the case. God is giving you an invitation to rest. He's not giving you one more thing to add to your to-do list, although if you don't schedule it, it may not happen. But he's giving you an invitation to something so much greater. When was the last time you felt rested? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you can't even remember the last time you felt rested. What would it take for you to give God time? I invite you to examine your life and your patterns and strive to find time to rest in the Lord. Maybe there's a major sin or a struggle that you've been fighting for so long. Maybe you feel like there is no reprieve. My friends, focus on the Lord. Trust in God and his completed work for you and you will find rest. It's been said, and I find this true in my life, that no sin has ever been conquered by focusing on the sin, but by focusing on the Savior. As John Owen, a great theologian, once said, fill your affections with the cross of Christ that there be no room for sin. You'll notice as you focus more and more on Jesus and his completed work for you and the love that he gives you and the approval that you already have in him, it's amazing to see what God will do in your life when it comes to sin and struggle. Now maybe you're here and you're unsure about God or if Christianity is actually true. Maybe it sounds too easy. I know when I preach on this, sometimes people will ask, it seems too easy, that's too, like I feel like I need to bring something to the table. My friends, we have nothing we can bring. If grace weren't free, you couldn't afford it. Accept it. Embrace it. Enter into that rest that only God alone can provide because in this life, now we desperately need it and with him in heaven, we will desperately enjoy it. May all of us enjoy what God has paid in full and given to us freely. Would you please pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all that you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for the knowledge that we can't do it alone. That we cannot bring anything to the table, but that God, you have done it all, and that you have paid it all. I pray for my friends here who are experiencing a season of burnout, that God, you would give them rest. That they would be recharged in you, that you would remind them of your goodness. God, I pray for those here who maybe coming out of a time of rest, that God, I pray it was intentional that they have recharged and that God, you have set them up for what you would have them do next. Lord, I pray for sustaining. I pray for students. I pray for those who um, are ready to rest from their work over the summer. Lord, for those that are gonna ramp up their work over the summer. Lord, ultimately for all of us that we would find the true rest that only you provide. I pray for my friends here who may not know you yet, that God, they would accept that you really did pay it all and that you offer a gift to them. All they have to do is believe that it happened. So I pray, Lord, for them that you would guide them to yourself.
pray all this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Stephen's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.